Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I am Alan Seals, and this episode is with Danny Burstein. This is the final episode of the Moulin Rouge Takeover for February. It has been an incredible month, and we've had some incredible guests. So please scroll back in time. The previous four episodes have all been guests from Moulin Rouge. So a big thank you to that team for helping put this together. And thank you to those listening, because... You guys obviously love it. The fan engagement has been incredible. So keep writing, keep giving me feedback. I always enjoy hearing it. Danny Burstein is one of the warmest people I've ever had the pleasure of chatting with. He is he is so friendly and he came in and just has this this energy about him like I've known him forever. And it helped us get into the conversation before we even really got in the conversation. I started I started recording in the middle of something we were already talking about and and in the final form it you know it's edited together so it sounds like the beginning but we were just chatting and having fun and and he's just so incredibly nice so incredibly smart and i want to give respect where respect is due and point out how incredibly wonderful and open and candid he is about the news that he and his wife received recently about her recent diagnosis of ALS which is not news that really i don't think anybody wants to get but this guy genuinely enjoys performing. He, he says this in the interview. He's never seen himself doing anything else. And when, he, when we talk about his career, when we talk about him being on stage and just going from one job to the next, basically out of making great connections and great friends and great relationships, his, his eyes light up, his body language is open. He just loves being on stage. He made his Broadway debut in 1992, which was 28 years ago, which... A lot of people working the same job for 28 years, you'd probably get tired of it, but he talks about it like like it's his first job. I mean, he just loves every bit of it. So Danny, thank you for the wonderful conversation. As always, please find me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram at Twitter. Show your support for the podcast. Please help us continue the transcriptions. We'll start doing some more episodes at a certain level of support. So you can find more information at ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And now please enjoy this episode with Danny Burstein. My guest today is a six-time Tony Award nominee who made his Broadway debut back in 1992 and now has 18 Broadway credits, including Company from 1995, Titanic, The Drowsy Chaperone, South Pacific, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Follies, Fiddler on the Roof, and most recently, My Fair Lady, opposite the amazing Laura Benanti. He can be seen all over the small and big screens, currently as D.A. Louis Cormier on the CBS... Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. On the CBS (laughs) TV series evil and can even be heard lending his voice to video games such as Grand Theft Auto and several more now on stage as Harold Ziedler in Moulin Rouge the musical Danny Burstein welcome to the theater podcast thanks for having me Alan great to be here did I do that justice? You, uh, you, well, you, it was, yeah, my God, yes. I sound old, <laughs> which I am. You are, you are experienced. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so take me back to, to Little Danny and Mount Kisco, right? That's where, at least on Wikipedia, you're credited as being born. That's where I was yeah. born. Yeah. I, I, never, I never lived there. I was, uh, my folks lived in the Bronx, and uh, they were visiting Mount Kisco, and I... That's where I wanted to be born. Oh, really? Yeah, just oh, so I wasn't like I'm coming out. <laughs> that was it, and I popped out in Mount Kisco. Well, they they okay. So your parent, you're visiting, and then again, I'm going off of Wikipedia to start. It says uh-huh. your your parents divorced. Your biological parents divorced at two months. When so, I was two months old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah my and, and uh, my mom was uh, the caretaker then for my older brother Philip and I, who was two and a half years older than I am. Yeah, so she and didn't didn't speak much English. No, uh, no, she she came here when she was seventeen from Costa Rica, and when she was twenty one, had two kids all of a sudden, and then uh, we lived in a studio apartment in the Bronx, and and she would she's an amazing human being. She would sew people's clothes in the building to make money and knit sweaters and. 
Um, she's an amazing human being. And now she's an artist and a teacher and really had to invent herself and invent her life. And uh, she's a remarkable person. That, yeah, that, I... I respect I respect that just like coming up and making making something and doing what you can for your kids exactly yeah and, and it really taught us taught my older brother and I about work ethic mm. it really did you know we you have to work for everything that you get and uh, she did and uh, you know I have such great respect for that and then when did your stepfather come into my the, stepfather the came around when I was about five and I have a younger brother with my step dad and my mom mm -hmm. who came around when i was around six my younger brother matthew <laughs> so three boys in the house growing up oh wait, still in the studio apartment no oh, thank yeah. god <laughs> we moved to queens because my stepdad got a job teaching at queens college uh and he's still teaching there but he okay so he's a he's a, a professor professor of greek philosophy yeah right? he teaches ancient greek philosophy at queens college yeah. and he is he's jewish yeah. And so your mother being from, uh, this is me assuming, Costa Rica, yeah. Spanish, like, is, is that a Catholic background? Yes. she had, It's a very Catholic country, right? yes. So yeah. how did the Catholic and Judaism no, come into know, play? You know, can't we all just get along? <laughs> <laughs> Every, you know, they, they sort of raised me, not sort of, they raised me uh, without a religion. And they sort of, and they had, uh, they raised me with uh, good, I hope, moral values and allowed me to make my own decisions. And um, my older brother has converted to Catholicism. Oh, no kidding. Um, but uh, my younger brother and I are both uh, irreligious, as it were. That, that's, that's sort of where I fall, because my, my dad is Baptist, my mom is Jewish, and so I was raised not with anything, just like be nice to people. And so now, now in my life, actually, I'm, I'm starting to read books on, on Buddhism. Uh-huh. I understand that. And it's just, it's just about be nice. It's just about appreciate yourself and appreciate, appreciate others. And it, it right. works. You know, if you want to yeah. call that a religion. Right. Yeah, saying we're spiritual. Uh, that's right, all. Right, right. And we, we're, we're, we practice kindness. Yeah. I try to. <laughs> For the most part. Until someone's cell phone goes off in the audience. <laughs> Yes. Well, that can set me off. <laughs> do you, do, does that ever, like, distract? I mean, this is completely have, off subject. Yes, absolutely. No, no, do, it's, do it's perfectly on subject. <laughs> Sometimes I do, and especially as Harold Ziedler, I can, you know, because I, they are my audience right. in, at the Moulin Rouge, so I can absolutely do that. Was, what have you done to somebody? Uh, can you curse here? Yeah. I've, I've told people to turn off their fucking phone. Have you really? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Why not? You know, I mean, just, you know, in a very sweet way, right. turn off your fucking phone, darling. You know, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> when, you know, it's not the, when it's not on me, usually right. the focus is on something else. And I see, and I'm walking down the aisle because we all walk through the audience yeah. and someone has their phone on. I'll, I'll say something like that to them. Yeah. Oh, that's so much fun. And yeah. you know what? Actually, everybody in the audience laughs around it and the person does turn off their phone and, and you move on. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, you and Alex Brightman. Yeah, Alex loves, <laughs> Beetlejuice loves yes, calling him out too. Yeah, yeah. I love Alex. He's such a, when, an amazing human being. Oh, absolutely. Um, so then, okay, so you were, you were growing up in this area. So, and mm -hmm. um, were you close to, to the theater scene or the performing arts? Was, I mean, your mother being an artist is like a painter type of artist? Right, yeah. yeah. She works in oils and oil and canvas. Uh, she is uh, a wonderful, my whole family is artistic. But nobody was in the arts per se. Nobody was uh, um, in the theater. That's for sure. I had no connections or anything. I was the first one to decide when I was uh, 13 that uh, I wanted to go to the High School of Performing Arts. I had a teacher in junior high school in Queens, uh, a guy named Stuart Glazer, my English teacher, who said, you know, you're, you're, you're good. You should go to the High School of Performing Arts. And I said, great, what's the High School of Performing Arts? And he explained it to me and that told me that uh, Liza Minnelli went there and Ben Vereen and all these great uh, people had gone there. And I said, wonderful, what do I do? He said, you have to perform a couple of monologues. And I said, great, what's a monologue? You know? <laughs> and he had to explain everything to me. And uh, that put me on my path. I was very lucky. The year I auditioned, over 4,000 kids, New York City uh, school kids, auditioned for the High School of mm -hmm. Performing Arts, and 127 made it in. Wow. And by some miracle, you know, I just worked my ass off to, on those monologues. And, um, you know, I got lucky. I also got lucky in stepdads, 
because I was not a very, I was not a, much of a reader. And uh, he gave me all different kinds of books, and I would start them and just never really get into them. And then he handed me uh, a play, and I loved it. And then he handed me another play. I understood the dialogue form. I understood two people working things out and uh, figuring out ideas and, and having a discussion or an argument. Right. And, um, and I thought, okay, this is, there, there's something in this for me. And that's why I loved all of all of a sudden I loved plays and I started uh, watching more uh, and wanting to be in more uh, theater. Uh, so you were in you were okay. So you were in the performing high school, but you went to college in, in San Diego, UC San Diego, uh, that, for my master's degree. Oh, master's. Yeah, my I went to for bachelor's. I went to Queens College because everybody in my family went to Queens College because <laughs> that was the law in my, <laughs> in my family. Because my dad taught at Queens College, you're going to Queens College. So we all went to Queens College, and uh, then after that, for my master's, I went to UC San Diego, where the La Jolla Playhouse is in residence. Right. right. And Des Mackinoff was out there doing some really wonderful work. And I thought, yeah, let me let me go out there. And it was different, very experimental. I was also, while I was at Queens College, I met my, one of my great mentors, a guy named Ed Greenberg, who ran the St. Louis Muni, mm-hmm. the largest outdoor theater in the country. And when I was 19, he gave me my equity card and brought me out to St. To, uh, Louis to work there. And I had all these musicals on my resume, and I couldn't get seen for any plays in New York or any television or any film work. So I decided to go back to graduate school and put those kinds of uh, serious plays and serious theater on my resume. So you went back to grad school primarily just, just for acting? Just or for acting. It, yeah, yeah, it was, an, yeah, it was a professional yeah. actor training program. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you could already sing and the, and the dancing movement was there. And, yeah, I don't, yeah, you know, I've yeah. never had real lessons in anything per se, but uh, I just pretty much did it, you know, and th- when I was a kid, I auditioned for Anything Goes in uh, in community theater, and they said, do you tap? And I said, y- yes, sure. I do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it was, it's that, basically, that's how I've learned how to do things, just by being in the right place at the right time and, and getting very lucky and uh, having lazy auditioners, I guess, <laughs> or audition, <laughs> yeah, who didn't bother to see if I could tap. I, I, so. hear, I hear that uh, quite a bit, especially on this podcast, is, is people who have, you know, air quotes, made it, right, who have mm-hmm. gotten to a level that most people will never achieve, is they've said yes without thinking about either how difficult it's going to be or even trying to figure out what the problems might be to get there. Yeah. So once you get out of your own way, mm-hmm. in general, people out there listening, you, you, you'll get a lot farther than you might think you will. Yeah, say yes. I, in, in early on, especially, I, I advise people, because people ask me all the time, I tell them, say yes to everything, within reason, of course. Yeah. Um, and, and see what you might learn. Because you always pick up something and you always meet people uh, and you never know where it's going to come from, the next uh, job. Yeah, and it's one, one thing. You know, the, the person who, who you mentioned brought you out to the Muni yeah. from California. Mm-hmm. You know, California, St. Louis. Or, right. No, it was high, no, Queens. That Queen, was Queens, Queens first, yeah. to St. Louis. Yeah, out to the Muni. Like, the, the way that you just run into somebody and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I come in audition for this one thing and then that changes your life. Yeah, and my first Broadway show came, because, came about because I worked with Tony Randall, the actor, uh, in St. Louis. In one, in one of the summer stock shows, he was uh, he was doing Around the World in 80 Days, and I had some featured roles in that show with him. And he was he had been trying to get this repertory company on in New York for years and had not been able to. And it looked like he was about to get the money to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, little did I know he was two years away from it. And I said to him, look, if you ever do that on Broadway, if you ever get your National Actors Theater on Broadway... Let me know. And we got along so famously. And he said, I'll do that. And then two years later, uh, the phone rang and I picked it up and he said, Danny, Tony Randall. And there he was. (laughs) And he offered me a job for my first Broadway show, just like that. And all those years of trying out for Broadway shows and, you know, and all the rejection and and that those awful feelings. And then all of a sudden, just one little phone call one day turned it all around. It was pretty amazing. Sorry, I keep knocking that. 
the luck aspect of this is, you know, it's, it's making friends and being nice and whatnot. And, but you just, you just touched on something that a lot of people struggle with is, is the rejection and yeah. the constant struggle and everything. I mean, did you, did you ever have a point where you're like, I'm going to, I might want to do something else? No, I've never, I've never had that. Uh, I, I don't know whether that's good or bad, but I, I just never have. I've never considered doing anything else. I've always known that this is what I've wanted to do. There have been down times, but I never doubted that this was the right path for me. The trouble with this business is, you know, you do A, B, C, and D never follows. It always jumps up to W or something <laughs> like goes to Q and then bounces around a bit before D comes along. And then E, and then it goes to Z, and then it goes to J, and, and that's the way it works. You just never know how it's going to work um, my first, the first show that I, I got nominated for a Tony Award uh, for was uh, called The Drowsy Chaperone. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason I got that show was because my buddy Steve Routman booked a commercial. And they needed somebody in two days to take over for him in a reading. And the reading <laughs> consisted of him playing five different characters, all with different accents. And so, you know, I, I did it for him as a favor. And Roy Miller, the producer of The Drowsy Chaperone, was in the audience of that reading and called me a week later and said, hey, I've got this show called The Drowsy Chaperone. I think you'd be great in it. And I was sitting there with my wife and I was uh, on the phone. She could hear the conversation. And I was doing so many things at the time. And I almost said no. And she said she sort of, you know, waved at me and she went, do it, do it. I do it and I said okay yeah okay yeah sure I'll do it you know and I squeezed it into my schedule and and that turned into the drowsy chaperone which turned into a, a big hit for me oh it was a huge show so you know and turned into a wonderful thing for my career and it just because my buddy Steve Routman booked a commercial and I just happened to replace him and be in the at the right uh, place at the right time yeah. In the right place at the right time. <laughs> I, well, I love it. Yeah, it's a what is it? A third, a third talent, a third drive, a third luck. Yeah. So that's that's what it takes to to be on Broadway for the most part. But you said you never wanted to do anything else. I mean, can at this point in your life is you know maybe brought a Broadway debut in '92, so you've been mm -hmm. doing this for a while. Do you, can you pinpoint still, or is it still sort of a mystery about what specifically draws you? to the stage like what personal fulfillment do you get from that i i love the exchange of ideas i guess i guess i get a lot of that from my dad uh my stepdad who, mm -hmm. I, who I call my dad who raised me um who teaches philosophy and um the and it's you know he studies and teaches the dialogues of plato and i, I think that has a lot to do with it it's the exchange of ideas and the illuminating ideas and seeing things in a different way um, and looking at different viewpoints, being able to understand other people's viewpoints. And also, the, the I get such a kick out of playing different people. Some people are always who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, like John Wayne was always John Wayne. Right. He was fantastic, you know, and <laughs> wonderful. But for me... The, the, the fun of the job of being a character actor is being somebody different each and every time and, you know, seeing how they walk differently and how they talk differently and, and how they think differently and what they need and what they want and, and, and having people come to a show and go, that's the same guy who played that? And I saw him two years ago in that? You know, it doesn't even seem possible. He seems so different. That is thrilling to me and the exciting part of the business for me yeah oh i, I totally agree with that it, it's fun when i can see someone who i think is going to be one way play something completely different yeah and way better than my expectations ever could have been yeah that well yeah that's that's the time that's the kicker if you can do that yeah right right and you've done yeah you've had a, a wide range of characters too but so now uh you're, you're Ziedler, mm -hmm. which for the longest time after the movie came out, I thought it was Ziegler with a G, but it's Ziedler with a D, people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was your first reaction? Do you remember when you first heard, like, Moulin Rouge is going to be a musical? Um, I actually, uh, yeah, 
I, I did, uh, and I thought, you know, what a wonderful thing, and uh, I knew that they'd done a workshop of it downtown. And um, then I heard that they were looking for somebody to play Harold Ziedler, and then I heard that they uh, were thinking about me. And Alex Timbers uh, called me and said, I'd like to meet with you. So we met at a diner on 72nd Street and Broadway, and he handed me the script. He said, read it over, let me know what you think. And a week later, we met, and I thought, yeah, this is unlike anything I've ever done before. And, you know, that's, that's really the key for me, you know, when I first read a script. And, and I think, you know, it's got great potential. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I made some suggestions. I thought maybe we could go a little bit in this direction, a little bit in that direction, and, um, which he was very amenable to. And, uh, and he has nine million, you know, you, you expect some directors to have a, you know, sort of a, a scheme for things, an mm-hmm. idea of which way to go. He has hundreds of them hundreds of ideas and he's in you know never-ending font of great truly imaginative things uh going on and that going on in his head at one time and they're really he's in a way he's a painter with ideas alex you know it's really really uh amazing to be around him because of that mm-hmm. and so you know, he was playing with things and uh, ideas, and I was throwing more ideas, bouncing off of what he was thinking. And, and I thought, yeah, let's do this. Let's go to Boston, to the Colonial, which is uh, an amazing theater in Boston mm-hmm. that they were reopening and uh, has an amazing history. The Odd Couple, for God's sakes, opened there, and the South Pacific, and many, many, uh, Sondheim, many of Sondheim's shows opened there, out of town. And I thought, yeah, I want to go and, and take this ride. And it turned out beautifully. And we, we did the show there, and about a third of the show has changed since Boston uh, from, from now to until now. And it's, it's, it just keeps getting better and better. And I think even from the day we opened till now, it's gotten even better and tighter. And uh, people are really settled in. And it's, it's also uh, a great, great company. That has a lot to do with it. Usually there are, you know, one or two people who you can go to work and you go, oh, my God, this one. You know, we all have to go. <laughs> this is the greatest company ever. It is so, so wonderful. It's such a pleasure to go to work. And we lift each other up. And we all have so much fun together. And uh, I can't say enough about them. Well, when when what year or do you remember what year it was or how long ago it was your meeting with um, with Alex in the diner? That was uh, about three years ago. So okay, so you were part of you were part of uh, uh, the create the creative process before long before it went to Boston, obviously. Yeah, yeah. 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 So then, how much of um, the Ziedler we see we see you do on stage? How much of that is what you brought to it originally versus um, Jim Broadbent, who did the mm-hmm. the character in the movie? Um, you know, like he was. Wearing a fat suit and yeah, you know, makeup and everything and all this, and and like I see similarities, but you're two two totally different people. Yeah, but did you try to imitate him, or or was it like well, you approached it like a brand new character? I've only seen the movie once. Really? Yeah, yeah. I I don't like to uh, necessarily imitate uh, other people. I I learn as much as I like when I was doing Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. There was there's so much footage footage of everybody and their father doing Tevya and Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof. Um, and I even went and uh, went to the Lincoln Center Library and got special permission from the Jerome Robbins Estate to see the 1976 version uh, with uh, Zero Mostel at the Winter Garden Theater, which Jerry Robbins hated. He hated that version and during his lifetime wouldn't let anybody see it at the Lincoln Center Library. But I got special permission from his estate because I was playing the role, obviously. And uh, I just basically what I do is I learn as much as I can about every character that I'm going to play and gather up that information and basically put it in a backpack and wear that backpack during rehearsal and then eventually try and make it my own and then let go of that information and and try and blossom in a different way and all of it as much as possible i i try to make it as real as possible you know given the rules of the game for that particular show Mm -hmm. do you ever get tired of the set i remember you know i've seen the show i I remember walking in and i just said holy shit alex has done it again yeah 
because even you know Beetlejuice too, which is also on Broadway that he did. It's the whole thing, house included, is this immersive experience. Yeah, and it, it's like I, I think yeah. I was <laughs> talking to Morgan Marcel. I I, I equated it to standing in line her. at Disney World. When I when mm-hmm. I said I said yeah, you like even the like the atmosphere. You walk in and all of a sudden before the show starts, you're already in the show. Yeah, I mean, do you remember? The first time you walked in, the Absolutely. set was done. You're, like, what happened? Oh, yeah. The entire cat. They saved it for us in Boston. Did they, you? They wouldn't let us in to the theater. And then when they were ready, they opened up the doors, and the entire cast walked in. And Derek McLean and, and Justin Townsend, our lighting designer, were there and set designer. And uh, Kathy Zuber, of course, our costume designer. And we all walked in with our cameras, you know, <laughs> like, like tourists, you know. We, our minds were blown. And the windmill was churning mm-hmm. and the elephant, uh, you know, it's just, I, we were agog. So I, I never really get tired of it because I remember that moment. And I right. know that everybody in the audience is having that same mov- moment right before we start our show. It's it's immersive in the most beautiful way. Absolutely. And did you? Um, I was going to ask about when you went out. You injured yourself on December tenth. You left, and Austin mm-hmm. Durant took over. Yeah, because you you tore your meniscus. Yes, the fourth time. The fourth oh, uh, over not my, a, not over my life. No, I'm trying to get uh, good at uh, it. So <laughs> <laughs> you'll eventually get really good at tearing your meniscus. <laughs> How, did you injure it in the show? I did. Oh, no. Yeah, I actually injured my, that was my right knee that I injured recently. And I injured my left knee in Boston. And right after Boston, <laughs> I had the same surgery on my left knee. It's just, you know, here's the truth. You know, it's been almost 40 years of jumping around and uh, and dancing. And even, even more, you know, since I was a kid doing community theater and uh, theater in school. Um, so my knees and my body has taken quite uh, a beating. And so I, I'm 55 now, and uh, it's, you know, it's starting to go, okay, all right, take it easy. <laughs> you need to back off a little. You know, you shouldn't jump so high. But, you know, when you get in front of that audience, you just have that feeling. You just want to give it all, 110% every single night. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for me not to do that. Could you finish the show where you got hurt, or do you took the jump and you're like, "Oh, I'm out." Home. No, uh, I did the show for four months with a torn meniscus, and my knee would swell up to the size of a softball after every show. And yet, you know, you'd miss a show, and people would come up to you. I came to see the show, and you were out. You know, like you go, ah, "What?" People have no idea how hard it is to do a, a Broadway show eight times a week. And sometimes you, you're you not a superhero. Yeah. You know, you have to take care of yourself and act like a normal human being. So it, it the show opened in August, right? It opened at the end of July. End of July. Yeah. So, you would, so you injured yourself right after you opened then? Uh, well, yeah, more sure. Or less, yeah. yeah. So then there's the pressure, correct me if I'm wrong, right, is... I mean, why not leave immediately? Is there the pressure to be there for opening and get the reviews and the Tony voters well, and all that? for me, it was uh, just I thought I could push through, and uh, I did different things. I had uh, um, injections of cortisone, and um, I thought I could maintain it, and um, I even had this, these, uh, and the doctors thought, you know, it was, the tear wasn't so bad. I had an MRI, and they gave me gel, gel injections. Uh, and uh, and each time I was waiting for it to maybe stabilize or get a little better. But by the end, it was just impossible to. I would by the time I would walk to work, my knee was already swollen, Oof. and I thought, you know what, that's it. I'm, I'm you know, and I talked to the producers, I talked to my agent. We all sat down. And it was very civilized, and, we were, and they were so kind, and uh, we worked it out. And uh, Austin, who I'd worked mm-hmm. with three years before in A Midsummer Night's Dream at the park, uh, was an old friend, and uh, I couldn't think of anybody better to uh, take over while I was away. He was wonderful in the role. I saw him three times. Well, I was going to ask, yeah, that's why I brought it up. I, uh, most people never get to see the show they're in. Yeah. And so... The fortunate part, again, air quotes, yeah. is that when you're out on medical leave, you have the opportunity to go see your show. Yeah, that only happened to me once, once one other time during Drowsy Chaperone. Uh, I was uh, shooting a film, 
with uh, Ewan McGregor and uh, Michelle Williams, uh, and uh, it was a huge flop called Deception. Uh, but <laughs> but I got out early one day, and I ran to the marquee to see the show, and I sat in one of the great house seats, and. I sat there and cried the entire show because it was like watching your old home movies. Yeah. But everybody was alive, you know? <laughs> and everybody was still young and vibrant and beautiful. And and I literally sat there and cried for, uh, you know, an hour and 45 minutes. It was beautiful. It, was it different for you? Like, watching Moulin Rouge, experiencing it from the audience, I'm sure much different than being on stage and being in character and, oh, yeah. and performing. But Much easier. <laughs> are the audience is easier? <laughs> yeah, being in the, the audience, audience is, is easier. easier? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like when you were watching this, I I just keep going back to my own experience because like I didn't know where to look <laughs> because there's so much going on in a yeah. good way. In a good yeah. way, it's like I want to want I want to dissect the, the the detail of the elephant and the windmills moving, and you've yeah. got all your background and the dancing. I mean, just the opening number alone, eleven minutes of just nonstop, yeah, moving, yeah, all over the stage. I don't know who to watch because everyone's so amazing. Yeah, it's one of those shows. It's just. It's it's twenty four seven energy, and it starts off you know uh, like a jet plane, and it just keeps going uh, you know mm-hmm. higher and higher and higher, and then two and a half later hours later you go, wow, what was that <laughs> incredible? And hopefully you know having said what you just said, maybe people will who've seen it want to come back and watch something another aspect of the show that they oh, might yeah. have missed. Yeah, did you change anything when you came back? Well, first off, before we get there, did you know did you know you were going to come back? Was that always oh, sure. the plan? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I took six weeks. I could have taken less. I could have taken more. Oh, um, so you decided on? But six, I, yeah. I said, yeah. you know, six weeks should be safe. And I came back, and it was fine. Oh, cool. Um, cool. Yeah, it's it gets stronger all the time. You know, I, anybody who's had a, a knee injury, it's generally takes six months to a year to to be normal again. When you're walking down the street and go. Oh, oh, I feel normal, you know, um, and I'm I'm waiting for that time yet. But I, um, you know, I severed my ACL. Didn't oh. didn't tear it. Severed it. Yeah, straight out of my femur. Popped it. Oh, playing soccer. Oh my god. People in the stands were were like, we heard a rubber band snap. I said, no, that was my ligament. Yeah. Thank you. I um, actually have. I mean, you want to talk injuries? <laughs> we can talk. What is, this conversation is going everywhere. Um, I actually uh, was playing uh, when I was doing a class act on Broadway. I was standing by for Lonnie Price, and uh, I was playing softball in the Broadway Show League. And I thought I twisted my ankle. I fell in the in the uh, outfield, and I thought I twisted my ankle. And I thought, Oh no, I don't want to be out of the show tonight. I think I'm on. And I looked down, and my foot wasn't there. <gasps> It had, oh, it had oh. spun around and was facing backwards. Oh. <laughs> and that, oh. that's, what, <laughs> that's what everybody's reactions were. There were these huge stagehands who you know, were, who'd run, who ran up to me and like, hey, man, you're going to be all right? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's basically what happened like six times right in that first five minutes oh, but they gosh. got me to Lenox Hill Hospital very quickly and uh, that's they, like your feet are on the right way they, now, thank so. God yeah <laughs> so you're doing you're doing okay so the, the question I was asking earlier was after you watched <laughs> after you got your feet pointing in the right direction you watched Austin came back watched the, you said you watched it three times while you were out I right? did yeah just to did, re-familiarize right. myself did you it. did anything change did you get a new perspective after watching it I and did watching the role I really did I, I couldn't uh, tell you exactly what I have changed, but I I do have a, a greater appreciation for the story. You know, watching something, you know, getting that other perspective, and and also feeling more comfortable on the stage after after having watched it. There's some there's a comfort level there that that wasn't there before, um, and uh, giving people kind of what they want in the moment. Uh, there's that too that I learned from watching it and I learned a lot from Austin you know because he's such a wonderful actor so I was able to see him tell the story in his own way mm-hmm. um, so that was it was it was really really helpful yeah that's that's interesting I feel like uh, there's little things that I that I, I I did I never been on Broadway but there are things that I did when I did regional theater that when people swing in or whatever and I would see and I said oh that's really cool and I would try something that they would do and vice versa so I feel like it would be a lot of fun to see a swing or a cover or something go in and yeah 
you know, really try to see, because they're, they're, they're a different person. They're going to try different things. Exactly. You also have lots of TV and film credits. And, uh, you know, you're filming your series regular on <clears throat> Evil now on CBS. I, I'm uh, recurring. Recurring. Yeah. How, how are you able to find time to do all this? It's uh, a very good question. <laughs> I somehow make the time. Uh, it, sometimes you go with very little sleep. Uh, but you just do it. You know, you have to be at a... I think I did between Boston and um, New York... I did uh, 10 TV shows and two films and, and I was super busy and I, you know, I planted a lot of seeds uh, for that kind of work yeah. for the future. And um, I just got on a roll and, you know, when, when it happens, you got to take advantage of it. I, I just don't, I don't understand this, this life. I mean, I understand lifestyles. Like there's so much though that people don't quite realize goes into being an actor, especially at this level. Because even if you have nothing else, you know, you're not doing TV, you're not doing film, eight shows, eight shows a week itself is hard as hell. It is hard And then as you've hell. got press, press engagements like what oh, we're yeah. doing right now. Absolutely. And rehearsal for Good Morning America. And then the performance of Good Morning America. And, and rehearsals for the show, and too. Re oh, yeah. And, and so, like, Aaron Tveit's out this week. So That's right. So you had to rehearse last week for his yeah. put-in. and right. Yeah. Like, so all of this, people don't realize how hard it is. And then in between all of this, you're auditioning for sometimes other theater, right. sometimes TV, sometimes right. film. You've got your voiceover yeah. career that's with your video games and whatnot. Yeah, I'm on a, a, a new series for Nickelodeon, for Are example. You? Yeah. It's a beautiful new series. Oh, I wish I could talk about it. I'm not, I don't think I can. All right. Because well, it hasn't started yet and they haven't announced right. anybody yet or anything like that. And I just did something as well for the people who are making, uh, for Josh Gad, who's uh, working on a new animated series uh, called Central Park. Mm -hmm. The same people who created Bob's Burgers uh, created this. And uh, I just recorded that yesterday, guest starred on that. And. Um, I'm always doing, you know, something and just keeping busy. Do you have like a dream voiceover part like The Simpsons? Or, you know, sure. Love to be on something like that. Sure. I have a dear friend, Michael Price, who's one of the writers and producers on The Simpsons. And, uh, you know, I've never, I've never begged him. <laughs> Maybe I should have. Bucket list. <laughs> but that would be lovely. Yeah, sure. Someday to guest star on The Simpsons. Michael, if you're listening, you know, <laughs> I love you, man. Um, yeah, he, his wife and I went to grad school together uh monica is he one of the the mathematician writers mathematician writers yeah I, 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 do you know about this no i the, don't all of the math in simpsons episodes is real the formulas all of that what you see because i i i, I saw an author speak years ago and the it was a book on the hidden math inside simpsons and for whatever reason mathematicians somehow make great writers for simpsons I had no idea. And so anytime you see a formula or they're talking about some abstract concept or anything, that's all legitimate math stuff. That's amazing. So, that's also wonderful to know. That yeah. really is really cool. Yeah, so they're not making any of that up. That's all highly, highly intelligent well, stuff. He's brilliant. I think he's brilliant. So uh, I wouldn't. it wouldn't surprise me at all. Right. So on a more serious mm -hmm. note, in, yeah. in, in getting into you know, how you manage your time and everything, mm -hmm. are you okay talking about your wife? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you you both just announced that she was diagnosed with ALS late last year. That's true. Which is Lou Gehrig's disease and more commonly known. Right. So I'm very sorry. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's hard news to get. It's hard news to live through. Believe me, it is. And she's uh, been amazingly strong. It is very, very difficult. You know, this, the uh, physical uh, limitations that have been put upon her. Uh, especially lately, have been, uh, you know, it's demoralizing and it's really, really hard on her. Thank God she uh, can still sing um, and she's uh, trying to do that and she that brings her great joy and uh, she's, you know, doing it from a sitting position right now. But uh, um, it's, it's beautiful to hear around the house when she does. Rebecca Luger, we haven't even yeah, so yeah. said, haven't said her hey, name her, yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm married to Kitty Carlisle Hart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rebecca, I mean, she's also a performer as well, and with her own Tony nominations, but... Yeah. Like, to, to I mean, 
when did this, when did you first, or would both of you start noticing that like maybe something wasn't quite? Well, it started about, uh, it was almost a year ago, March exactly. of last year. Um, and uh, she just uh, tripped, fell in the street, just, just went down. She had no idea why. And then it happened again. And then it happened one more time. And the third time, I think she, uh, it was, she twisted her ankle and thought something was wrong with her foot and that there was a bone out in her foot. And then they pushed the cuboid bone and they pushed the bone back in. And that, but she still couldn't move her big toe, her uh, physical therapist noticed. And they thought maybe she had some kind of spinal stenosis and they did a nerve thing and she had spinal stenosis surgery and they repaired that and the surgery was successful uh but she just kept getting worse and then one doctor after another after another and then the head of this hospital and the head of that hospital and finally we were at um the uh at the top neurologist a guy named matt fink at uh Weill cornell and he he said yes um because uh, uh, you do have, uh, it seems you do have ALS, because ALS is a fallback diagnosis. There is no test for ALS. It's just, if they test for everything else, and it's nothing else, then I guess you have ALS. That's sort of how it works. And that's why it's so mysterious, and that's why they haven't been able to find a cure for it yet. Um, there are medications out there that slow down the illness. Um, there's one... And, She's on a medication, I think it's called Rilatech, and they say, well, it'll give you three to six months, <laughs> you know, which is, <laughs> you go, oh, great, thanks, <laughs> you know, but then that has its own side effects, and, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, been a whole new world that we're open, uh, opened up to, that we've been opened up to, and um, certain medications that cost $16,000 a month that oh. most insurance companies don't cover. But thank God, uh, through SAG-AFTRA, we're, we're being covered for it. Thank God. <laughs> $16,000 a month for one medication. It's, it's been, you know, it's been that kind of a thing where you have this other, you know, I have my full-time jobs, you know, with work, and, uh, and then I have this other job taking care of Rebecca and dealing with uh, insurance companies with her and, and buying uh, wheelchairs and, mm -hmm. and getting, you know, the seats for the tub and, you know, and making the, uh, the entire apart our apartment uh, um, safe for her to walk around in, you know, with her walker and um, her, she has braces and it's, it's been quite a journey and she's been amazingly strong through it. I mean, we both have our times where we just, you know, completely lose it. And uh, there are very, very difficult days. And sometimes, you know, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and you just have to cry mm -hmm. um, because you can't believe that this is happening. But um, for the most part, we've been able to keep our heads high and, um, and move forward. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're hoping there's a new medication coming out, a trial in June called Procetin. And we're hoping that that can uh, maybe arrest the illness. It's the first medication that can actually uh, penetrate the walls of the brain stem. Hmm. So this is the first medication that can do that. So, and it's worked in mice and helped <laughs> <laughs> reduce their, uh, you know, their symptoms. And so we're praying that you know, it'll have the same effect on uh, all the people who've been affected by this illness. So that's, that trial begins in June, and uh, they're trying to raise money for that uh, so that everybody, so that uh, medication can be available to everybody who needs it. Mm -hmm. And there is a website for that call, and it's Procetin2020.org. How do you spell Procetin? P R O S E T I M. Procetin. Procetin2020.org. Okay. And um, they're, yeah. You can donate some money there if you want um, and help people who are being, uh, who have been affected by this awful illness. Oh, that's, that's difficult, difficult to deal with. And I'm, I guess my last question about this is why, why decide to share it? I mean, because you guys went so public about it on social, think, social media. I think she needed to. I, you know, it's also, it became difficult to hide it. You know, yeah, she's, yeah. she's basically, you know, she can't really walk 
very well anymore. Um, walking is very, very difficult. So um, it's uh, an important, it wasn't, you know, people are going to see her eventually and people are going to know eventually. So we thought, why not um, just be honest about it and open about it and also maybe help people, other people who are in this similar situation, who yeah. are in a similar situation. Uh, you know, uh, that seems to be the best way to do it. And uh, we thought so anyway. Well, I, I think it takes a lot of courage. And it, for me, I, I think it would be something where, you know, I guess it's, I get ahead of it. I, can, I feel like I'm controlling it a little bit. Yeah. Where I can, you know, I, it's my time to bring it to the world instead of them seeing it. Right. What, you know what really takes courage is the day-to-day stuff. You know, getting up, you know, and, and when you have no strength and getting yourself to the bathroom, at, you know, at, in the morning, you know, that kind of thing where you can't lift yourself off the bed. And, you know, it's those kinds of things. That's where your real metal is tested. And then uh, and also for all the caregivers out there, which is, you know, your whole life is turned upside down, too. And you're take no time for yourself. And there's a lot of that, um, you know, for both of us. Uh, it's it's a very, very difficult uh, change in our life, but uh, one that we're trying our best to adjust to. Well, all right. Um, I have a Patreon account, Shifting Gears, and so people get to write in with their own questions. Oh, yay. And I've got a couple for you. The first one. Wonderful. Is, did you prepare differently for Moulin Rouge than any other show in the past? No. I prepare the same way I always do. Uh, I do as much research, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. as possible. And I then I play as much as possible. Um, teachers of mine, uh, older actors, I mean, uh, would tell me about other actors who would go in and try, you know, really extreme things in, in rehearsal, makeup and putting Mm. a stone in their shoe and wearing a hump and, you know, all kinds of crazy, (laughs) crazy shit. And I thought, all right, yeah, I don't know what I want to do with this character yet. And I want to play and see what he's like. And, uh, so I sometimes will try crazy things uh, in rehearsal just to weed out what doesn't work. Right. You know, and uh, so that's basically what I do. I, I try. It is called a play after all. Yeah. So you might as well play and, right. and have a good time. And so that's what I try and do. Uh, most of all, have a good time. All right. So the second question uh, the, you sort of answered this already, but how are you able to balance Moulin Rouge while also shooting evil? Um, I, you know, I don't sleep. <laughs> That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. All right. So the, fi- the last question from patrons, uh-huh. and this is a serious question. Yeah. And I quote, if you were a rich man all day long, would you really bitty bitty bum? Hell no. Hell no. I, I would go out and do altruistic things. <laughs> I, I, I'd give away my money as, as uh, often as I could to uh, help people. I, I truly believe uh, when you're really living your best life, you're living it not just for yourself, but for others. And if I, had, if I were a rich man, I would uh, do my best to take care of my fellow man. That was a much more serious answer than I thought you would give. Well, you said it was yeah. a serious question. Well, I was being ironic, but I'm, I love your answer. Now you tell me. <laughs> no, okay. So I have my own standard three closing, closing questions that I ask everybody. Wonderful. So the first one from me is what motivates you? What motivates me? Uh, uh, being a good example to my sons. How many sons do you have? I have two sons, two sons 27 yeah. and almost 24. Alexander is my older son, and my younger son is Zachary. Isn't it funny how, great funny how having kids changes you? You just It does. It really does. You want to leave something good for them. That's exactly right. I want to leave, also, I want every day to be an example for them. I love that. Next question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Uh, I would say to myself, uh, what the hell were you so worried about? (laughs) Um, I was always a worrier. Uh, I tend to have that streak. I guess that's the half Jewish streak. (laughs) But you sort of said it like, what the hell are you so worried worried about? Um, But uh, I... Just, as I said earlier, say yes to everything. Um, and, and it took me a long time to do this. And older actors told me this as well. And so if you're younger, 
uh, you have plenty of time to do it and learn as, as soon as possible. You have to listen as much as possible. Uh, the great uh, director and producer and uh, an actress, Eva Legallion, uh, used to say, you have to listen with your blood. And I believe that's the most important part of acting, listening. All right. And then the final question. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Sweeney Todd. Oh, another one for Sweeney. It's such a brilliant score. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I admire Steve's work so much. And uh, I have enjoyed working with him in, in the past. And I hope to work with him in the future. And I just think he's a genius. And I think that show is about as perfect as it gets. And, uh kudos also of course to my hero Hal Prince who uh, just taught us all so much and was such a, an amazing human being and a great friend and um, that they hit it out of the park with that one mm-hmm. I mean I could go down there I have mm-hmm. a list of other shows you know <laughs> South Pacific is, a, is another one that comes to mind because it's so beautiful and the themes in it are so important but Sweeney Todd is just it just they went for it and they got it it's it's really about as perfect as any show that I know of. Yeah. All right. So we can find you online on Instagram at Danny Burr, B-U-R. Is that the only... You're not on Twitter, right? You're not... I'm not. Yeah. No. My wife is on Twitter as Rebecca J. Luker. All right. And are you on Facebook? I am on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. I have a fan page on uh, Facebook. Do you run your fan page or somebody else do it? Uh, it's a little of both. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I look and I check and that kind of thing, but I do have a friend who does that. Oh, all right. At least it's not a complete stranger. No, no, no. Oh, God, no. There are so many fan accounts. Like, there's so many Moulin Rouge fan accounts out there that, like, that I've been connecting with, you know, through this takeover for the month of February. Oh, they're so passionate. And people, I mean, the internet allows people, like-minded people, to find people that they never would have. Yeah, that's true. 10, 15, 20, 20 years ago. And just these people who come together for specific shows just blows me away. And then we're getting off on another tangent. But, you know, you have shows like Be More Chill and Lightning Thief and now Six and these things that come to Broadway with these this massive online following. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it's changing the game. Yeah. I wish I had seen Be More Chill. I'm so sorry I didn't. Sit and go to London. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I follow Chase Brock is a a dear friend and I follow him on Instagram. So I do see that he's doing it there. Yeah. I'm very, very happy for him. It just got extended. It was announced. It did. Wonderful for them. That's fantastic. It couldn't happen to a better guy or a more talented guy. Uh, Chase is an amazing human being and super talented. Mm hmm. All right, well, let's wrap up here. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Support and get your questions in at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can get me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review, and thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Danny, thank you most of all. This has been so much fun. It's really been wonderful, Alan. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.